This is Garrison Hardy with your Cross Politic Daily News Brief for Wednesday, September 7th, 2022. We're halfway through the week, ladies and gentlemen. Let's see what the news cycle has for us today. But first, let's stop and take a moment to talk about Fight Laugh Feast Club membership. By joining the Fight, Laugh, Feast Army, not only will you be aiding in our fight to take down secular and legacy media, but you'll also get access to content placed in our club portals, such as past shows, all of our conference talks, and exclusive content for club members that you won't be able to find anywhere else. Lastly, you'll also get discounts for our conferences. So, if you've got 10 bucks a month to kick over our way, you can sign up now at flfnetwork.com or fightlaughfeast.com. That second one's probably a little easier to remember. So, fightlaughfeast.com. UN inspectors find damage to Ukraine's nuclear power plant buildings housing fresh nuclear fuel radioactive waste. That's good, right? UN nuclear watchdog, the International Atomic Energy Agency, IAEA, said Tuesday it found damage caused to buildings at the nuclear power plant, ZNPP, that are housing fresh nuclear fuel and solid radioactive waste. Quote, quote, the team closely witnessed shelling in the vicinity of the ZNPP, in particular on September 3rd, when the team was instructed to evacuate up to the ground level of the administrative building. A report by IAEA Director General Rafael Grassi said to the United Nations Security Council. Moreover, the team observed damage at different locations caused by reported events, with some of the damage being close to the reactor buildings, end quote. Grassi's report Tuesday is the first update the international community has received on Europe's largest nuclear power plant since Russia invaded Ukraine in February. The ZNPP has seen repeated damage caused by shelling that has hit the plant's power lines, connecting it to Ukraine's electrical grid as well as its structural integrity. In his report, Grassi detailed several events that have, quote, significantly compromised the plant's seven pillars, a standard at which the IAEA bases its security guidelines. Since the ZNPP was first occupied in early March by Russian forces, the IAEA chief laid out a litany of concerns relating to damages inflicted on the plant's electrical system, harm caused to the central alarm station, and damage inflicted on a container where the radiation monitoring system is located. The IAEA report also noted with concern that the shelling could have impacted safety-related structures, systems, and components, and could have caused safety-significant impacts, loss of lives, and personnel injuries. Both Russia and Ukraine have accused each other of targeting the nuclear power plant, though the IAEA report did not clarify was responsible for the attacks on the ZNPP. Now, I, for one, normally don't trust the UN, but uh, when nuclear power is kind of at the beginning, eh, you know, involved, it, it deserves some attention. So, prayers for the Russian-Ukraine situation. All right, this next article is titled, Ho-Hum, Another $47 billion for Ukraine, COVID, Whatever. <laughs> this bodes well. Hey, what's a paltry $50 billion between friends, right? That's roughly the amount of money that the Biden administration is asking Congress to approve in a short-term spending bill. The request is being described by the White House as technical assistance to Congress in the form of a continuing resolution. Biden's people would like to see this spending bill pass a standalone measure before the debate over the big spending bill takes place. That needs to be done by September 30th barely five weeks ahead of the midterm elections. And where will this latest mountain of money be going? To Ukraine, of course, and also to fight COVID. 
which will apparently be an excuse that we will use indefinitely from here on out. Oh, and monkeypox too, or whatever we're supposed to be calling it this week. There's also some money for natural disaster recovery in there, which should probably be handled by FEMA. While Congress and the Biden administration are still hammering out a budget deal for the upcoming fiscal year, the Biden administration is asking for a short-term funding measure, with specific funding totaling in $47.1 billion to support Ukraine, respond to the COVID-19 pandemic, and monkeypox spread as well as help areas impacted by natural disasters. The White House said on Friday that a continuing resolution will be needed as the fiscal year ends on September 30th. However, the administration is confident Congress will come to a bipartisan agreement. If no agreement is reached by the end of the fiscal year, then a government shutdown will begin just over a month from the midterm elections. Quote, Today, as part of our prudent planning for the end of the fiscal year, we are providing technical assistance to Congress on a short-term CR, which provides guidance to lawmakers on funding and legislative adjustments that are necessary to avoid disruptions to a range of important public services, wrote Shalonda Young, director of the Office of Management and Budget, In a blog post, one part of the problem with this situation is that we have blown through so much magical money over the past couple of years, measured in the trillions and largely blamed on the pandemic, that people have likely become numb. At this point, $47.1 billion probably sounds like no big deal. Some of us are old enough to remember when a billion dollars sounded like a lot of money. We should be asking the White House to explain precisely how much of this batch of money would be going to Ukraine. We've given more cash and other forms of aid to the Ukrainians than just about every other country combined. Where's all this money going? How many of the weapons we have sent over there actually made it to the battlefield to fight the Russians? And how many of them mysteriously disappeared? We don't know because we've never been told, and nobody seems to be keeping track of any of this. Even CNN is admitting that the White House is unable to track any of this. Before the invasion began with Zelensky was turned into some sort of superhero action figure, his government was regularly being investigated for corruption, and a lot of arms trafficking took place in Ukraine. Shouldn't we have a better idea of what's going on? Some of the rest of the money is supposedly going to fight COVID, but how long will we be footing those bills? Not that many people seem to be lining up for booster shots and our businesses and schools are allegedly almost entirely open. Is fighting COVID going to be the new magical phrase every time the White House wants to pluck the next $50 billion from the magical money tree in the Rose Garden? The money for natural disasters seems fine, provided it goes to where it's really needed. Of course, that's a pretty big assumption these days, when we can apparently spend any amount of money domestically provided you work the phrase climate change into the title of the bill. Moving on from one crazy story to the next, Project Veritas exposes New York City Charter School principal discriminatory hiring practices. What? No way! Project Veritas has exposed another teacher who engages in discriminatory hiring practices and encourages the indoctrination of students. An assistant principal in neighborhood charter schools in New York City is revealed to use interview questions to weed out candidates who will not go along with his progressive agenda. I'm an assistant principal. What would you do, though, as a principal if you knew there was a conservative applying? Would you hire such a person? If they say that, like, diversity is about... You know, like, everyone's equal. It's like that person. Wow. You can watch the full video on Project Veritas's YouTube channel. And I even linked it in there for you in the show notes. Great work from Project Veritas at exposing the truth. That's almost like it's in their name. Chicago 
asking for help after Texas sends over 100 migrants to Illinois. The city of Chicago is asking for volunteers and donations for migrants who are being bussed to Illinois from Texas as illegal border crossings continue to remain at an all-time high. The Associated Press reported the plea for help from the Windy City comes as only two buses arrived from Texas, totaling around 125 people who illegally crossed the U.S.-Mexico border and were then processed and released by Border Patrol. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot said the city had not yet heard from any Texas officials and urged Texas's Republican Governor Greg Abbott to collaborate on more humane treatment of the migrants, end quote. Abbott added Chicago as a destination for migrants uh, that they can opt to and go to for free, in addition to Washington, D.C. and New York City, to relieve stress on the Texas border towns. Lightfoot accused Abbott of treating the migrants like cargo. Quote, he tries to send human beings, not cargo, not freight, but human beings across the country to uncertain destinations. He is manufacturing a human crisis, and it makes no sense to me. Easy for you to say when you're not at the border. But according to News Nation's reporter Allie Bradley, migrants who have taken buses, uh, Texas buses said they felt respected throughout the process. Report and exclusive new pictures from Texas showing 17 migrants discovered in the back of this horse trailer. The driver arrested and each of those migrants handed over to Border Patrol. Meantime, Texas Governor Greg Abbott continuing to allocate state resources to bus migrants to New York, to Chicago and to Washington, D.C. News Nation border correspondent Allie Bradley is live. And Allie, you've been following this border bus battle and actually had a chance to speak exclusively with someone on board one of those buses. Yeah, Nicole, you're exactly right. Now, Governor Greg Abbott is actually being referred to as El Transportador. That that translates to the transporter. That's what migrants are telling me. They're also telling me that they're extremely grateful and extremely happy for the help getting closer to their families. A greeting days in the making. 51 migrants arriving in Washington, D.C. early Saturday morning. A church charity immediately helping. One migrant got off in Nashville ending his journey on the bus chartered by Texas Governor Greg Abbott, saying he was tired of traveling and just wanted to make it to his family in New Jersey. I feel happy, sad, because I am alone here. My family is very far away, but I feel fine because I try help in the future. And while many of these migrants are linking up with family or friends, this man made the choice to leave some of his family back in Venezuela. Thank God for bringing us here. He was praying as soon as he got off the bus. They may, I feel protection and feel uh, human people around me, all different uh, where I come in. Did you feel, do you know what respect is? Did you feel respected? Yes, a lot, a lot of respect, respect. And partnership is more important for for any people. I feel that, you know, the human, you know, wars, the, the, um, the union more important the life I feel here. Hector says they were fed on the bus, a 39-hour trip with nine stops along the way. Bring to us all things we need, water, food, and crackers, and chips, and anything. And movies. Yeah, yeah movies a lot. Yeah, so Hector actually did stay on the bus the entire time. We were talking to him there in Washington, D.C. Now, sources really close to this operation tell me that Governor Abbott 
has his eyes set on a couple other sanctuary cities. I reached out to the governor's office to find out exactly where those are and to get confirmation. But, Nicole, I have not yet heard back. All right, Allie Bradley live in Phoenix. Well, there you go. All is well, sanctuary cities. Enjoy your new citizens. Now, it wouldn't be a Garrison News Brief if we didn't talk about my favorite topic, sports. American Francis TFO upsets Rafael Nadal in the U.S. Open fourth round. I don't think you, maybe some of you guys don't understand how big that is. That would, that would be like some young kid challenging Michael Jordan and then taking him down. Crazy stuff. Granted, Rafael Nadal is getting up there in age, but Francis TFO talked a big game and delivered a bigger one. Greatness was predicted for TFO when he broke onto the scene eight years ago with his speed and power. He finally showed that skill set that everyone agog when he was 16 years of age. And then he broke down in tears after match point when he achieved Monday's milestone. Before the round of 16 matchup, TFO expressed confidence that he could knock out Spanish legend Rafael Nadal and post the largest win of his yet unfulfilled career. The 24-year-old American blasted through at Arthur Ashe Stadium on Labor Day before a manic pro TFO crowd to upset Nadal with a blistering serve and forehand to make his first open quarterfinals. TFO, the 22nd seed, stunned number two Nadal, 6-4-4-6-6-4-6-3. It was the first time the 36-year-old Nadal had lost to an American at a major in 17 years when he was beaten by James Blake. Congratulations, TFO. Unreal stuff. 17 years for the 36-year-old Nadal. That's crazy. This has been Garrison Hardy with your Cross Politic Daily News Brief. If you like the show, hit that share button down below. If you want to sign up for a club membership and sign up for our conference with that club discount and then sign up for a magazine, you can do all that at fightlaughfeast.com. And as always, if you'd like to email me a news story, ask about our conference, or become a corporate partner at Cross Politic, email me at garrison at fightlaughfeast.com. Cross Politic News, I'm Garrison Hardy. Have a great day, and Lord bless.